Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Snelling, and we're here for a, a brand spanking new episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, at some point during this episode, uh, Matt Harris will join us. Um, <laughs> but when? I'm not really sure. But in the meantime... Uh, our special guest, uh, C.J. Moore from The Athletic, uh, one of my favorite writers at The Athletic, always does really great stuff, is with us. So C.J. and I are going to talk about Mizzou basketball. In the meantime, C.J., how are you? Doing well. How are you doing, man? I have uh, very little to complain about at this point. It looks like Mizzou has uh, put the finishing touches on their roster for next year. A, a lot of new bodies, man, are, are going to be on this roster. Um Getting like a just sort of a a general take, like it, it sort of seemed to me at least that that Conso was sort of ready to to hit like a big reset button after after like kind of dealing with the same group for the last two or three years. Uh, did you get that sense in the in the conversations that you've had with him? Yeah, I have. I, I think that he was ready to kind of start over and and um, basically get rid of <laughs> like the entire core. Not, you know, some of them, like, if, if Drew Smith would come back, he'd be like, come on back, buddy. Come <laughs> right. on back. But, um, you know, I, I think he has some of, like, his – some of that core that, like, he has enjoyed in Javon Pickett. And not to say there's guys leaving that he didn't enjoy, but I, I just think, he like, like he said, he was ready to hit reset and kind of start a new journey. Probably got – I mean – at some point last year, they got to like their ceiling, which was encouraging. But then the 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 you know stuff kind of fell around. <laughs> the the ceiling caved in a little bit, I guess, um, after they got there. So you know, I think sometimes as a coach, you're just ready for something new, and I I think he was ready for something new. Yeah, I do have to say, like even as uh, as somebody who's who's analyzed and and watched this team. Uh, you know, perform for, I, I sort of say two to three years. It's the, the bulk of the team has been the same for, for three years with, you know, Drew Smith kind of playing the last two. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it does sort of feel like you're kind of going over the same thing, like, you know, game after game when you have the same group of guys for, for that long, which is really unusual in college basketball. Uh, I mean, sure. we're, we're used to probably like a quarter to a third of the roster kind of flipping, uh, for pretty much anybody on a given year. Um, so to kind of keep like the, the core of your rotation intact uh, for, for what was a, like a solid, you know, two plus years is, is really pretty impressive, but they never quite seemed to break through. 
Yeah, I mean, that part of it's good because, like, how do you win a national title or how do you go far in March? You pull something like that off as far as keep – like, look at Baylor. I mean, that crew was basically together, a lot of them, for three years and and most of them for definitely two, and that's how they got so good. Now, you know, talent and experience matter or experience and talent. So – um but it, I, I think it is good for Missouri to see that, hey, we can get a group together for a while, really season them, um, get them to you know, kind of learn each other and, and, and get better. And I think with this next core, that's what you kind of want to see. Like they're going to be a, a pretty young team. And I think if you can have a, a decent season this year and add a piece or two that can really maybe take you to the next level – then maybe 2022-23 uh, season, 2023-24 season. It sounds weird saying those those numbers out loud, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Uh, how do we get here? Um, I, I think could could have some some potential and be be exciting. Now now this coming season, I think um, you know anything higher than middle of the pack would probably be a surprise. Yeah, it was one of the things I like to, to say is like nothing makes you feel older or more dated than when you follow recruiting. And it's just like, hey, an offer just went out to, you know, this top 25 player in the class of 2024. I'm like, how is the class of 2024 a thing? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's always kind of scary when those numbers, they, and they just keep creeping up. Um, but CJ, I have some breaking yeah. news here. Um my my co-host by way of Indianapolis, Matthew J. Harris has joined us. He is in the building. It's it's hard to believe. Uh, I thought we were going to have to do this alone, but um, but he's here. So Matt, you made it. How are you? Never ever try financing or shopping for a car. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Just like don't ever do it. Like commit yourself to ending climate change. Callous your feet and walk everywhere because. Three hours spent engaged in the activity of buying, test driving, figuring out the financing for said vehicles. It's all really just one big algebra problem that you don't need to engage in in any way possible. Like, you you are just volunteering for that construct. And I'm sorry that it has, you know, completely blown up this evening's plan. What'd you, uh, what'd you get? My wife is getting a Toyota Highlander XLE. I am I am staying in a 2015 Ooh. Ford Escape that I'm going to drive into the ground because that's what Harris men do. The wives get yeah. get new cars. <laughs> I'm just going to beat something to shit. So that's what she's getting. A new one too. <laughs> brand brand spanking uh, new. Yeah, yeah, brand. Oh boy, that's what my wife wants as a Highlander. Uh, sir, so, I can uh, tell you, I hope they're fantastic. I, I I will get to drive yeah. it intermittently. <laughs> um, because I knew it was going poorly because I asked her at the end of the test drive how it went and she just scooched the seat up a little bit extra and she goes, yes, now it works. So it's it, it's it's not my car, it's her car. I'm just mostly there to do the arguing with the dealer while she sits there and just nods. So that that's how that went. And uh, yeah, so that's what we're doing. Just checking off things. I, I feel like... Uh... We are in a similar place right now because I've been spending the night looking at my uh, bank accounts, uh, trying to figure out. We just bought a house that we close on in on the twenty first. Um, so trying to figure out: Do I pay mortgage points or not? And how many points do I pay? And will that benefit? You know, how far out will I pay them off? Yada 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 trying to do the math on like, you know, where, where I should be, where I should fall there. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 it'll, it's it'll okay. I, uh, so. when we were buying our house again, Ellery handles almost everything else in my life and keeps me from like dying every day, but like the big uh-huh. financial stuff I have to navigate. And so when we were buying our house, like she went on like a girl's trip to upstate New York, which was great for her. But like there was no cell reception while I was trying to do this, and I and I'm good at math. I, I have an econ degree. I got through calc. I did all this stuff, and I like screwed up figuring some math out. 
she called me and I was in the middle of having a breakdown. Like just, I was pretty sure I was like that Charlie day gif or whatever, where the strings everywhere. And thank God, like our <laughs> yep. mortgage person called me and she was like, no, like you carried these two numbers wrong. You're fine. Otherwise. But like, we had to like, L had to like voice call her in to keep me from having a mental breakdown. So I, I've been there. Um, as far as points, uh, I don't know. Like I've, I consider that if you're going to get it down by a half point or so, maybe do it. But other than that, just write it because you're going to pay more on the front <laughs> end there and it's going to, you may not get it off in the uh, interest you can pay over a long haul. But that's not why people are here, CJ. We're here to talk about basketball. <laughs> um, yeah. Welcome to our, our new pad, podcast where old guys talk about uh, adult stuff. <laughs> it's like some 25-year-old kid who's going, oh, God. Can you please talk about Ronnie DeGray already? <laughs> um, I want to talk about Deshaun Gordon because I saw that CJ had a really nice piece that kind of talked to Bruce Weber about what went awry this year. Not really awry, but just kind of what happened in Manhattan. And that's a corollary into Deshaun Gordon because I feel like when I looked at Deshaun as kind of a, a guy that Missouri's adding, a lot of people are going to look at the transfers they brought and say, there's a lot of mid-major guys that we have to project. Deshaun's got two years of high major experience, but it's been in a program that's kind of struggled. And did he play at a major level? <laughs> I'm going with conference affiliation, sir, not performance. We aren't having, we can have a discussion about efficiency ratings and whether or not Kansas state was actually a mid major. But I think Deshaun's interesting because Bruce Weber basically sold him as this is Barry Brown's next iteration here. And I don't think that ever got there. And, but if you talk to guys who watched Deshaun a lot in high school or coached him, they would even kind of say that was maybe getting out on a ledge. And so I'm just sort of curious, like, what do you make of Deshaun departing that program? Because I think they clearly viewed him as a piece. But he decided he wanted to reboot. And I'm just sort of fascinated as to how that process unfolded and kind of how you look at that kind of breakup is probably too dire of a term, but that kind of separation and kind of, as you watch that trade between Missouri and Kansas state play out, just sort of what you make of the entire situation and what you think a reset looks like for him in Columbia, given that you, what we know about both programs. Yeah. I, I think that um, Kansas state, like he's not, most of these transfers leave and, and a lot of the coaches will be like, if you get them talking, you know, tell them the truth. They'll be like, well, yeah, we want like, we're yeah. glad he's gone. Right. <laughs> like that's what they're using say i don't think that was the case with k-state at all um and i don't think he'd land at a place like missouri where i mean Conzo and, and bruce are like you know i don't know that they're tight but they're 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 uh they respect each other and, and they have that purdue connection so like um if if bruce said don't take this guy like Conzo's gonna yeah. actually listen right um so no i i think as far as like the kid quality of the kid, like I don't think K State had any problem with them. Um, to me, yeah, I I agree. He was miscast as like the Barry Brown savior. I think that was K State trying to talk themselves into something. Um, he's a little yeah, he bigger. Is. He's bigger than Barry Brown. Uh, I'd say he's more athletic and fast, a little quicker than Barry Brown. Maybe. Um, it depends how you like if we're just talking like track and field athleticism, <laughs> like he's, I think he's a little bit better athlete than Barry Brown. Um, now Barry Brown had some unbelievable instincts and, um, you know, amazing work ethic and, and, and a better handle. That was to me, his yeah. shot and his handle were like not ready to play at the mid, at the high major level as a freshman. And because K-State wasn't talented enough around him, it didn't really work his freshman year. Now, last year when they had – Nigel Pack come in and – A little more capable point guard with Nigel Pack, um, I thought Gordon really late in the year was playing really nice ball. Like he kind of figured out who he was, just kind of a hustle guy, play really good defense – um, I thought he was a pretty good cutter and like just under started to understand who he was as a basketball player, like good athlete, 
Um, not going to be like shaking dudes off the dribble. Like he, he can't handle it that well. He can't shoot it that well, but he can really guard. He can get out in passing lanes. And so he can get you some easy points by just getting like pick sixes basically. And, um, you know, offensively, he'll probably be kind of like a Javon Pickett where you're happy with what you get. You don't want him ever trying to do too much, but I think Javon Pickett, like, has really gotten to a point where he yeah. understands who he is and picks picks the right spots to go. And I kind of thought that's where Gordon was starting to get, which is promising to see at the end of his sophomore year. Like, that's good. So that's, I mean, that's the progression you want to see. So if he tries to come to Missouri and be something he's not, and like try to, you know, really wants to handle it and, and do stuff like that, then that's not good. But I, I think he just wanted to get in a system where maybe they played a little bit faster, uh, which Missouri's, you know, trying to do. Um, and that's, that's where he'll, um, you know, he, he's, he's good in pace as long as you've got handlers around him who can kind of, um, draw attention and he can maybe, you know, back cut, do stuff like that. Building off that, you, you talked to Conzo a couple of weeks ago and it seems like they, they've won, figured out that they may have a niche. I think you, you put it best. They may have a niche with trying to find mid-major guys who they can scale up to high-major level dudes. I, I think I think Cassius Robertson and Drew Smith probably fall more on the outlier end of the spectrum, but you can see what they're doing with Amari Davis as a mid-range guy. Jerron Coleman is kind of a guy who you could use if the turnovers get to a reasonable level. You could have a, as a bigger point. You know, Deshaun Gordon can be a guy who is that kind of, I think you put it best, you know, space him have him attack off a secondary kick and get into the paint. You know, he can cut well. It seems like what they figured out is we're going to have a collective approach here, but what we need to do is find guys with a work ethic or who we can maximize at least in one specific role and then build our rotation out of that. And I think that's, that's sort of where I'm sort of fascinated to see what this roster does next year. I don't think this is the core necessarily that you're going to look back at in three or four years and say, yes, this is, this is what's elevated the team. I think what they've done now is they've at least given themselves some pieces to put together. And hopefully you use this year to construct a competent enough rotation that maybe you capitalize on some higher end pieces in the 22 recruiting class. And now you've got something to work with. But I, I was just sort of curious as, you kind of touched on it earlier with Sam, just kind of what you make of their strategy and roster building right now and sort of how they're putting pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the really important thing for them as a program is to not fall off too far this year, because I mean, recruits pay attention. Like they, they don't want to come play for a losing yeah. team. Right. Um, so I think they have to be good enough to, to show hope in that, hey, you're the answer to really take us to the next level. And, I mean, if if I'm on that coaching staff right now and, and you know, recruiting's starting back up and, like, I think we're going to actually be able to go out and watch people play basketball. That, that's fantastic. I, I love that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I think where, the, and, you know, the transfer portal is obviously going to be a big thing for them again probably next year. but. Between the portal and, and, and recruiting, recruiting traditional-wise, like, to me, they've got to identify um, some really good handling guards, point guard-type guys. And, I mean, you look at across college basketball, what do you need? Yeah, You need two of them. Who wins the national championship every year? Teams that start basically two point guards. Um, and... They had that in Drew and, and X, and at times it could look pretty good. My concern for them this year, and I say this not really having been able to see, well, not even kind of, like I haven't seen the incoming <laughs> freshman. I don't know. What I know about them is what Sam uh-huh. has told me off air, basically, you know. Um I am going to talk to Conzo soon about them and, 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 you know, kind of there will be another piece on Missouri here pretty soon. Um, but, uh, you know, like Anton is a, is a really important kid this year, I think, to whether they can, how, how competitive they are in the SEC. 
because I I like Boogie Coleman watching him on tape, um, but I don't think he's a point guard. And um, same with uh, um, the other transfer they got, whose name is going to ex- escape Amari me here Davis. for a minute. Amari Davis, yeah. I've been my my mind is either on houses, <laughs> furniture, or a Tim Duncan oral history of his Wake Forest years. So so forgive me if I if I space. I like one of those send me that link, uh, by the way. <laughs> It's it's I think it's going to be phenomenal. I think it's I think it's going to turn out well. So, but anyway, um, yeah, the uh, I've already forgotten his kid, Amari <laughs> Davis. I like I liked him on tape too, but like I I don't think I saw him make a a pass. Depending <laughs> on his skill set, that is not is not uh, his bag. No, no. So like not like those are nice wings. Uh, I think they're 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 in a good spot with their wings. Um, but that they got to get some handlers, right? So um, that that'll be a big target in their next recruiting cycle, as well. Will be um, finding, you know, maybe they have the answer at center. Maybe maybe Yaya Kaida Kaida. Did you? <laughs> I, I I've been saying Kaida. Yeah, Kaida. Yeah, we're going with Kaida. Um, we'll be we'll either be right or wrong together. Um, I uh, you know unless like he's answered like. I'm kind of curious, and and I've I've got Sam's opinion off of area. <laughs> I'd love to hear your opinion. Like, what are they doing at center? Like, what what's what's that going to look like this year? Um, I know talking to Conzo, like he's good. I think in his ideal world, he would have picked up Christian Bishop and rolled with him at center. I have names that um, I would have passed along. We have many names that we would have. <laughs> they're in a spreadsheet, and and there's some yeah. some color coding, and and I feel very good about the names I would have suggested, but. <laughs> Um, like Daniel. Yeah. So that's, that'll be interesting. Can they rebound? Can yeah. they handle? Um, and if they can't, you, you, you better go find that next year. Like those, those are the two things um, that I'm interested to see. And uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, I think, I think they did pretty well on the transfer portal, but I think if, if things really went their way, they would have gotten um, a guy like a Christian Bishop who they would have felt good rolling at center with him. Well, so you're also, you're, you're pretty familiar with, um, you know, I guess regional stuff. I mean, obviously Bishop was a guy who was at Creighton, uh, had a Missouri offer out of high school, but that was like really early on in the Conzo tenure. And I don't think they prioritized Mm -hmm. him a lot. Um, Goes to Creighton, has a really kind of productive, um, I guess three years there, just sort of being the uh, undersized center, and uh, not really a role that I would have thought watching him in high school. That I mean, because he was a little bit more of a beanpole, um, you know, when he was a, I think, a senior in, in high school. Uh, but he really uh-huh. kind of grew into that, and then, yeah, you know, like he releases top three after he transfers. Uh, that <laughs> I think destroyed any hope of Missouri fans thinking that they had a shot when it's like it's Kansas, Texas, and North Carolina. Um, like, like how does how does it how does a school like Missouri sort of break through to uh, you know the the kind of the kid that they very clearly needed and and wanted, uh, you know? But when when you got uh, you know coaches from you know three of probably the 10 best programs in the country, you know, coming, coming to your door. Like, like how, how do you overcome that? I think you have to somehow identify those kids in high school. Um, Cause like Christian Bishop was a gettable guy probably in high school. Right. Um, Cause Kansas, like he was right next to Kansas, Kansas. I don't know if Kansas offered him or not, but like, I don't think they seriously recruited him um, out of high school. And, uh, you know, I think you got to be able to identify those guys in high school and get them then. Um, or, you know, you try to get lucky. You, you try to find the Drew Smiths and at the, at the mid-major level. Um, but as far as, like, getting a, a high-major guy who's, you know, Creighton's high-major now, um, going from high-major to high-major, um, I think unless Missouri gets to a point where they're making the NCAA tournament every single season, and going on some runs, that's going to be tough. On that point, CJ, I, I think we could probably hear it 
I don't know if you hear it as much, the complaints and kind of qualms about Gonzo's recruiting. And I, and I think the Christian Bishop is a prime example of that. I, I remember when his top, when he put out his top three and I said, how many Missouri fans would have been banging the table three years ago saying Christian Bishop is a musket guy as a prep kid? Like how many of these guys, like there's, it's easy to sort of look back now and say, okay, that's a musket guy. We got to have him. He's got it. We need him to fill the rotation. You know, Missouri usually lives in about 125 to 200 of the composite ratings. And Missouri fans are complaining that, you know, mm-hmm. Conzo hasn't landed high-end guys. And, and I think there's, that's an obvious point. It would be wrong to say he hasn't. But I think there's that trade-off factor where, you know, Missouri's making, I think, a, or at least their strategy seems to be to take more developmental guys, longer-term guys, and sort of bank on that process. And it's always sort of a trade-off, you know. Do you take the guy who's a higher ceiling kid now, you know, higher rated kid now versus longer ceiling? And, I, and I'm just sort of curious what you think of the, ro- the recruiting strategy as we're four years into this now. You know, as you've sort of assessed how Conzo's gone about roster building and you know, looking at you know now with the portal coming in, just how do you sort of assess how he's gone about putting together rosters as he's sort of settled into his time here at Missouri and sort of his recruiting strategy as as a whole. Um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's hard to say, cause like everybody try, you know, you don't always get your, yeah. according to plan. Right. So, um, I think that where they need to succeed and maybe they haven't recently is nabbing like the four star guys that can become all league type guys by their junior year. Um, Like, you know, like Jeremiah Tillman was a very important person to get early on. And while like Tillman was, I guess, quote unquote, a disappointment for a few years, but by his senior year, like that's your anchor. That's one of your two most important players. And that's why like without Jeremiah Tillman, they're not an NCAA tournament team this last year. Right. Right. So like you have to have, Two guy, at least two guys at like the Tillman Drew Smith level to be a tournament team, and those are the guys that they need to be able to to be have two guys at that level consistently on your team, and that's where I'll be kind of watching over these next three four years. Like, can they can they have that? Because like on next year's roster, no, I don't know that they'll have two guys at that level. It seems like they're teeing up for twenty twenty two, where they are looking at a kid like. Aiden yeah. Shaw out of Blue Valley, who is a kid that, you know, you look at measurables, you look at how he wants to play on the floor, kind of defensive-minded first. What his ceiling is, that's a kid that you sort of would say to yourself, we want to add that to the mix we've got right now and and what we want to do. Or in this yeah. last class, a Tamar Bates, tough-minded, combo guard, mm-hmm. has shown that he can, you know, be a grinder, play defense first on a team like IMG. It feels like those have been the kind of guys that they need to land now. It, we could talk about Cam Fletcher or, or Caleb Love, but it feels like those guys who are between, most of the time between 50 and 75 Absolutely. in the ratings, they need a couple of those guys. Those are the guys that the high major teams are 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 built around. Those are their stars, their junior and their sophomore, junior and senior yep. years now, right? Um and I think it's getting even tougher to get those kids because I do think there are more of the like top top programs maybe dipping into those guys a little bit more. Um, like, okay, let's this is this is something I'm kind of workshopping in my head as we're talking here, but but like KU and their current situation where they're having to recruit differently is probably hurting Missouri in like, and I don't, I don't know. I don't fall recruiting closely enough, but like, let's say KU is KU recruiting. Aiden Shaw point, very hard. I think they took Grady Dick as their wing in that class. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That's true. But let's say KU is like, okay, it gets to January. Aiden Shaw hasn't committed yet. We missed on some guys in the fall. Um, 
all right, now, now this is kind of back. Like this is the kid we probably need to go get now. And now you're going up against Kansas, even though it's KU on probation, like that's tough. Um, and, and like Ochai Abaji, Christian Bishop, or not Christian Bishop, Christian Brown, um, like Ochai and Christian are like two guys that, that maybe KU six, seven years ago doesn't re doesn't take, or maybe doesn't take both of them. Um, where like Missouri maybe lands one of those guys. I don't think they recruited Ochai much, but I, but I do know they wanted Christian, right? Um, who who would be a really nice piece for them right now. Um, so that, that, that I, I, I do think like they, they are smartly um, building their um, depth. I think they're doing a good job at getting depth. I think now where they have to hit is trying to find those stars in that four-star, that, that 60 to 110 in the rankings. Like, you got to land a few of those guys. You don't, you don't have to land the five-stars because, like, five-stars are it, – it takes, like, a unique thing, right? And, and a lot of these five-stars are going to just start going maybe yeah. straight to the G League. Um. So, so that's that's where that's the sweet spot of where I think recruiting is so important. Like, look at where when North Carolina won a title, when they kind of had their um, probate not probation, but but the threat of probation, they started going a little bit down on the in the rankings, and they built a core of like really good four star guys, and some of those really hit, and all of them were at least usable. And then they went out and, and, and won a title, you know? So yeah, it's like that's, recruiting Bryce Johnson and Marcus page is what won them, won them that title, but neither, absolutely. neither one of those guys were the guys that, you know, Roy signed the last couple of years that he, he wasn't signing those guys. He's signing Caleb love and, and, uh, and the Kessler kid and, uh, you know, Dayron Sharp, all these top 25 kids. That didn't work out that high. It, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, and Cole Anthony, you know, like, all really, really talented players, uh, you know, but, but, you know, and I, uh, this is me kind of agreeing with you, CJ is, is I think the, uh, you know, the, the way that you build a championship level roster uh, in college basketball these days, unless you just have otherworldly talent and most of the five stars that come through are not the next Anthony Davis. You know, like like most of the guys that are coming through as as a five star are good role players in the NBA. Mm-hmm. If you have a if you have the next Anthony Davis, yeah, you can you can go win a title. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but for the most part, the teams that are winning now are are the teams. You know, you look at how Baylor's roster is constructed. You look at even uh, you know Gonzaga's had you know two kids who are one and done. Uh, you know, both well. So uh, Zach Collins. Um, he was a one and done, but he was like a top forty kid. Not yeah, like he he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, he was at, at like the high end of a four star. Um, mm-hmm. and even even kind of like going into this year, like I don't think people thought Jalen Suggs was going to be Jalen Suggs. Like he he really outplayed his ranking and was and was probably one of the you know the five best players in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, his recruiting class where I think he was like a top 25 or 30 kid. But you look at like, and I, I actually use Carolina, that that same comparison quite a bit when I talk about the right way to kind of build a program, you know, and, and why I think Roy kind of went the wrong way. Like once they got off probation, he started chasing all the higher end kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had like this thing that was just churning because you had guys that were there and they were handing it off to, you know, like it was Marcus page handing it off to a, you know, a kid who was a, a, a sophomore who was a willing to sit as like a, you know, top 85 player. Uh, like, and, and so it, it kind of keeps that, uh, that train going. Um, and so like, you know, for Missouri, like Missouri's in a, in a, in a bit of a tough spot uh, without like any real recent, history of success uh you know a couple NCAA tournaments but you know no no wins in the tournament uh and I I really kind of think like the 
I was hoping at least that the momentum that they built early on in the season would, would carry them enough to a, a better seed and they'd be able to point to an NCAA tournament win uh, this offseason. And now they're kind of going through a whole nother reset. And while I like the bulk of the roster, um, you know, and I was kind of telling Matt uh, the other day, like one of my common complaints about, you know, like Kim Anderson years weren't, wasn't necessarily that, that Kim Anderson didn't have any high major guys like Kim, Kim Anderson had guys who could play in, play in a high major roster, but they were guys that were best suited to be like five through 10 on that roster, as opposed to, you know, guys who are suited to be one through five. Uh, and, and I feel like Zoe has, has done a really good job of kind of slowly building up the talent level, but I'm still mm-hmm. looking at, at a really nice deep roster, but of guys that look like, at best, maybe like three through nine, as opposed to like they're, they're still kind of missing that 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 top level guy. Maybe one of those guys develops. Uh, you know, maybe that's Amari Davis. Maybe that's that's Boogie Coleman. Uh, you know, maybe Deshawn breaks out or something. I don't know. Um, but it, I I think that that kind of roster can can win you games in the SEC. But I don't think it's uh, it's enough to kind of gets you to the next level, which is I think where a lot of Missouri fans are kind of wanting things to go. Yeah. yeah. I think the laziest comparison probably too is to look at like a guy like Matt Painter. And it's probably because I'm local here. You look at like kind of the guts of their roster are very similar, like at least in terms of composite rating to what Conzo has between spots three and eight in his rotation. But they'll land a Trevion Williams, so they'll go out and they'll get an Ethan Morton who's a top sixty kind of kid from out of state and they'll bank him for a year or they'll find a Jaden Ivy. Or they do, or they've built up a st- enough stability to the point where they can go out and recruit a top thirty prospect who's in their state, who's in Indiana, who you know, who is maybe a little bit different, maybe a little more academically solid than a kid who might go to IU. And it just feels like I think what we're all talking about here is I think Zoe's built a philosophy and has done a good enough job finding six guys to build out a rotation. I think it's just the question as to whether he can show enough success to where you could go into Kansas city, St. Louis, or even into Illinois or Ohio or anywhere else and pull out a top, a couple top 60 or 70 guys to really build out that roster to really complete. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, there were fan complaints that, you know, the offense, you know, you know, hasn't looked great and hasn't done a bunch of others and hasn't quite been as consistent and I, and I think that's fair, but I think that, again, that goes back to personnel. I, I think Zoe's evolved schematically far more than I thought he would when he took the job. Mm-hmm. I think his embrace of pace has been, you know, it's probably a year later than I would have wanted, but he's gotten there. I think he's finding guys now in this class you can look up and down who they've gotten with, you know, uh, Trevon Brazil, who's kind of a, a more modern five. They've gotten Sean Duregordon, who can slide between three and four. You look at who they've gotten out of the transfer portal. I think he's doing about 85 to 90% of what you want to do. It's just, can you find those last little finishing pieces? And I think that's, that's going to define the next three or four years of this program is Zoe's gotten it back to baseline. You've liked everything that's happened philosophically and you can see the blueprint. It's just, can he finish? Mm-hmm. It? And, and I think, and I, and I understand why Missouri fans are frustrated because you've been in a wilderness, you know, you have a history that you can, a lot of fans can remember, but it's just a question of, you can see, the potential if they get one or two breaks to go their way, this thing looks better. But you can point to plenty of hiccups along the way that cast some doubt. So I, I get it, but I think things are far better <laughs> than some people might think. But yeah. I, but there's also room for critiques, and that's a frustrating place to be as, as a fan and somebody who's watching kind of a program at this point. And what's, what's important for them is next time they build up a core that can really – go on a run because because if you look at it like drew jeremiah and javon and and um not javon but x when x was like right every fourth game (laughs) (laughs) if you look at that every fourth game that that core that top three with some nice core role guys around them was probably good enough to get to the second weekend of the tournament. But 
when you get that core, when you get those three guys and you get that core, you got to make it count. Um, and, you know, they can, they can, they've got plenty of excuses for why it didn't finish strong, right? Like if Jeremiah Tillman has, you know, a normal year for what's going on with him, um, you know, I think, I think that obviously hurt them. And, and, you know, maybe if, 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 if X is, um, the every fourth game guy, two, three out of four games, um, you know, maybe it hits a little bit better. But I think the next time they get to that point where they're an NCAA tournament team, um, they've they've got to put like two tournaments together in a row, and like one of those has to be pretty good for them to really start taking the next step in terms of what you can get on the portal and what you can get in recruiting. And it's hard; it's hard to make that little leap um so so that that's where like i'm kind of from a you know taking a pull back look and 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 kind of you know watching how it evolves over these next two three four years i think that's that that's what's important so i do think like another element uh and and discussion point i think when people kind of talk about um not just the missouri program but a lot of the uh sort of middle of the pack uh, you know, power conference programs, um, you know, which is, which is a lot of teams in the SEC. I mean, there's a lot of fluidity in the, in the conference rankings from year to year. Uh, but, but one of the things that I think, you know, fans and media often point to is, is, well, you know, this coach is, is making, you know, X, Y, Z dollars. They're, you know, they're paid to kind of deal with this. They're paid to, um, to overcome obstacles and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, but but football and in, in in the power conferences with all of the TV deals has really leveled the playing field in a way that I don't think we've really ever seen in college basketball. Like it was it was fairly easy with uh, you know a reasonable investment to go from a you know tenth place power conference team to a, a, a top four team. Um, you know, but now everybody has money. Uh, especially in the SEC, like, you know, they're, they're all doing revenue sharing and nobody has like money, like Kentucky has money, you know, but, but you look at programs that were, you know, traditionally um, not great. uh, And they're, you know, they're on par with your spending, uh, even though you like, I use Ole Miss as a great example because (laughs) Mizzou is notoriously since joining the SEC, just not been able to beat Ole Miss for some reason. Uh, but a program that has virtually like no real history behind it uh, and yet consistently beats, you know, Missouri. Missouri fans are thinking, well, you know, we're this program that has all the history. And yeah, I mean, three years of Cam Anderson will, will you know, put a wrench in a lot of, uh, a lot of plans there. But, um, you know, it's just sort of like the, the overall investment that we've seen you know, from programs throughout the country where, you know, like a, a coach is really only going to get three or four years, uh, you know, because everybody's being paid the same. And so it's just like, well, if, if your investment isn't paying off, uh, then why not try somebody else? Yeah. And that, that seems to kind of be like where college basketball is uh-huh. for, for a lot of programs like, like, like Missouri. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's tough when you're in that, when you're in that cycle and, and you're one of those coaches and, you know, he, he had the um, fortune of getting a really good contract. So he's got time. Um, and it was so bad under Kim that um, I, I do think it's in a better place. Now, now, where do you go? Like, where, where do you take it? So, um, I, I think he's done a like. I think I give him like you give him a probably a B on his tenure so far, and uh, you know we'll we'll see where where it goes from here. But um, it, it it is tough to make that leap, um, and and the but but you can't you know you it's it's funny because like college basketball with the the portal is like your roster can completely change and you can t- turn it in a year. But I think ideally you want to be able to um, have some roster consistency. And so I, I do think they're building the smart way in that 
we're we're mixing the portal, but we're also getting high school guys and we're getting portal guys that can kind of maybe be here for a couple of years and we can develop. We're not just getting the quick fixes. Like LSU's probably trying to recruit quick fixes right now, you know. Um, Missouri's kind of doing it a, a, a different way. So so we'll see. There's been a lot of philosophical <laughs> talk, yeah. but uh yeah, I, I um it'll be a fascinating year with to, to, to see how this roster kind of comes together. And he is definitely, he is all in on the, like watching what Arkansas and Alabama have done and being like, I I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to go that route too in terms of style of play and how I build my roster height skill wise. Um, so, so that's, that's something to watch too over these next couple of years. Like how's that work for him? Because um, it's worked really well for those programs, but um, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily have to follow what works for everybody else sometimes. And but but you know, I I do think that's where basketball is going. It's just if everybody's trying to go that way, um, you know, how many teams can it actually work for? That was going to be my question, CJ. Because it sounds like they've bought into pace, and when you look at the underlying mm-hmm. numbers. The trade-offs they made defensively, you could see a dip in, at the defensive end, but it was offset by the gains they made off and mm-hmm. at the other end of the floor. I, I think recruiting-wise, you know, every coach says they want to play fast. You know, we, we've all seen Jordan Sperber's video of that, but it seems like Zoe's embraced some fundamental aspects of the game, which is I've got to play faster and I've got to maybe evolve offensively to some more read-and-react pro-style schemes. From your conversations with him, where do you feel like he is in making that trade-off with who he is as a coach, which you look up and down at every team he's been in, it's been, you know, we're going to send three or four bodies to the glass. We're going to defend consistently. Maybe it's not a, a niche system that you see with pack line, or maybe we don't have a, a guru like a, a Luke Yaklich. You know, he was at Michigan, but we're going to defend, we're going to board, and we're going to run, you know, consistent stuff on the offensive end of the floor. Where do you feel like he is between – trading out, making those trade-offs of those kind of bargains between, I would consider what are fundamental tenets of his philosophy and trying to stay contemporary and trying to stay relevant and trying to adapt with the times. Just That's that's sort of nebulous, but I'm just sort of curious, where, from your conversations with him, where do you feel like he is in sort of his approach to, to making those trade-offs and balancing those competing demands? I think he's roster building with eyes towards offense with a – um, a belief in himself as a defensive coach and as a mentality coach that he can always get his guys to guard. So if I can just get continue to get better offensively, I can get my guys to guard. Um, and, you know, if you have good positional size um, and enough quickness, like that's the ideal defense these days, and you've and you've got a rim protector back there. Um, that's kind of the ideal defense in college basketball, I think. So that's that's where I think he's trying to kind of go. Um, I think for for Missouri to consistently be really good, like make a second weekend every couple of years, get to the tournament three out of four years. Um, I think he's got to get to his teams to where they're consistently in the top forty defensively. Um, maybe get back to kind of like where he was at the end of Tennessee. I think mm-hmm. he was gearing. I think he was going towards that direction at Tennessee with some of the athletes he had. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think he needs to have a consistently like top forty defense with an offense that is, you know, in the top sixty range, and every once in a while gets up there a little higher. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still do think like the best part of his teams and the best part of him is getting kids to buy into playing defense really hard and giving him effort, which, you know, defense usually with effort translates into production as far as defense goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, like if, if I were consulting, I'd be like, you know, don't lose that. Don't lose that def- defensive identity. But continue to try to, you know, be more more modern with your offense like you've been. Like, I, I do think he's, like you said, I think he's made strides in that area. So we're, uh, we are kind of 
getting to the wind down uh, part, and I wanted to uh, we had a few people send us questions via Twitter, uh, guys, and I, I wanted to get to a couple of these. Uh, even though uh, CJ, you and I kind of talked about this uh, before, um, but uh, one of our good friends on on Twitter, Mizzou Daily, is a, a big time Mizzou fan account, and uh, he avidly reads your posts and uh, was talking about your most recent one where you were kind of referring to Anton Brookshire as uh, a potential lead guard. Um, so he was wondering is like what we kind of think about uh, Anton as the lead guard next year. I know you and I kind of talked about this briefly off the air, uh, but where, where, where are we at? And I know that you've still got uh you still got to talk to, to Conzo maybe a little bit about some of his newcomers. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, maybe kind of say what you told me about, you know, like the, the, the depth of your piece and what you were inferring on your own. Um, so in the story, I say, you know, Martin says it'll be between Coleman and incoming freshman Anton Brookshire and Caleb Brown. Um, for who plays, like who will play point guard, who, who you know, who gets the minutes there. Um, I wrote, you know, Coleman is capable, but better off on the wing. These are my um, observations just from watching him on tape, my beliefs. That's not, you know, that's not me speaking for Conzo. Um, and, and this is, you know, I said the ideal scenario is one of Brookshire or Brown looking ready to start and play heavy minutes. Again, that's my editorializing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I do think that's that's the case. Like I think, in an ideal world, it sounds like to me from talking to you, like it's Anton Brook, Brookshire is that guy. Um, like you know, hopefully he's ready and can play a lot of minutes because I I think you're better off with with Coleman, um, and um, and my boy uh, man, Mario Davis. <laughs> I like them already. Lefties, I always love lefties. Um, I think those guys are better off on the wing. Obviously, from from what I've said about Gordon, I think he's better off on the wing. Um, so you, you know, you got to have somebody hit at point guard, and 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 I think that's the dude that that you're hopefully banking on that that can can hit at point guard, and and uh, that's asking a lot. Like if he's going to come in and and start, maybe you don't start the year like that, but. I think if in, in your ideal scenario, if you're Missouri, he eventually is a startable point guard. So uh, I'm going to kind of package these, uh, these two questions together. Um, but it was basically about uh, like who's going to start at the five and uh, will Missouri use the 13th scholarship? Uh, so I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, do either of you guys think Missouri is going to use the the last scholarship and, and add one more uh, one more player going into next year? I'll let CJ go first. He's 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 probably more <laughs> informed on that point than I am. Um, gosh, I, I got to think back to to the conversations were pre me buying and selling my house, or no, no <laughs> pre me selling my ha- my my current home. You know, so I it was uh. When I talked to him last, I was actually at my dad's house at the Lake of the Ozarks while my house was on the market. as as very high stress level. <laughs> um, I would say fifty. I would say fifty fifty there. Like I, I bet they're continuing to recruit, um, and, and and you know would be open to adding another guy because because in my opinion, like I don't know what they're gonna do it's their starting center spot. Like I, I couldn't tell you that right now. Like I couldn't tell you what their starting lineup is going to be next year. Um, I don't know if, if Conzo could tell you that. There's, there's um, definitely some camp battles that need to happen. Uh, yeah. Cause you know, really like, and I, I like the talent that they're bringing in. Uh, and it's, it, I, and I know I was kind of talking about it as, as more of like the foundation of like a three through 10 on your roster. Uh, but I I do really like the transfers that they added, and I like uh, I jokingly call uh, Deshwan athletic Javon Pickett, 
uh, and jokingly call Ronnie DeGray as taller Javon Pickett. <laughs> so, and, and, and clearly, like, we like what Javon Pickett kind of brings to the team. So you've got Javon Pickett, and you've got a more athletic version and a taller version. Um, so how do those guys play together? Uh, you know, I don't know what they're going to do at the five. Um, I, I, mean, I would cl- say... That- I would Clearly, say they're going to take someone. Who, if if the right guy comes along, they take him. But I don't feel like there's an active sure. search. I don't feel like they're they're scouring the portal just because you don't see like Missouri mentioned as calling every available big going into the portal. So I think he's I he's think, not he's not taking the uh, uh, the ball from Mus in that regard. You know, Mus calls <laughs> everybody in the transfer portal. Um, he's called and, 65 and, guys, 65 players this spring. So. Like, like with, with, you know, so you just like, you hardly ever hear Missouri mentioned, uh, when it comes to a player. And, and I feel like at least half the time, the player usually ends up going to Missouri, you know, like, it's like, Oh, like, you know, like even Boogie Coleman, I don't even think anybody like talked about Missouri, uh, or really anybody. He kind of kept it all quiet. And to, sure. like to me, like that that is like Zoe's calling card right there. Like, you know, the the kid that isn't going to be out there, you know, giving people updates on Twitter, uh, is the kind of kid that I think you know fits really well with with Zoe and his culture. Yeah, yeah, and I, there's a respectability to that man. Hallelujah! Like I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about that. Um, that, that that'd be what I'd be all about too. And yeah, I, I, he's, he's not a dude that's, that's, uh, you know, out there in that way. So, and I, and I respect that and, and I respect that kind of kid. So, um, you know, I think they're doing something right there. No, I think on the, to your question, aside from being flippant and punting to CJ, I think there are plenty of guys like I've looked in the portal and been like, you can, you can watch the film and you can look at the underlying synergy numbers and be like, yeah, this guy works for what they want. But I think that there's what I, what I've noticed this year outside of, well, not with every, it's probably a little bit different with Jerron, but there's always a, there's a, you know, that six degrees of separation with Amari Davis, Link Darner was his college coach and, you know, Link and Zoe have that Purdue connection. They were teammates. Uh-huh. You know, you look at Deshaun Gordon, you know, Bruce coached Zoe at Purdue. There's that tie. You know, you look at Ronnie DeGray, who commits tonight. One of his first official visits in 2017 was to Missouri. They offered him during a prep year in 2019. Jerron Coleman, there's probably some mutual connections here that know Zoe from his time on staff when he was working at Purdue and disguising kind of the Indy Heat program that, that knows Zoe pretty well. So that to me has always been the barometer there is I think can Zoe pick up the phone and feel like the person he's talking to in the lines got a voice, has some experience and, and just has a perspective that he can trust on a kid. And, and I, I, think, I think that, sorry, I don't mean. I, no, I no, go ahead. That. I think that like Zoe's getting older, right? Um, I think he has a no assholes approach to things. And, and, and that's why I think you see that, like he wants to be able to know he's getting a kid. That's like a good dude. And, um, that's, you know, with like a Drew Smith that really, really worked out. And, um, I, I, I do think there's some respectability in that, 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 that he, because, you know, like you said, there's all these connections. It's because he's been able to pick up the phone and, and know that he can, he can trust that this guy's going to come in and, and, and fit the way he, he wants to coach and the way the kind, kind of guys he wants to coach. So, um, and, and I think that there's a very Purdue type thing to that because I think that's a lot you hit on Purdue earlier. And I think Matt Painter is one of the smartest, best program builders, best coaches in the country. And I think that's very much the way they do things. And on that point, if you go back and look at, how Matt had to build the first couple of years. There were some, they were probably in better shape, but they hit a, a little bit of a turbulent patch in kind of the middle of his tenure there. And I uh, think they kind of fell back to that same thing, which is we're going to go back and we're going to recruit our guys. And yeah. at some point we're going to put together enough of a critical mass of guys 
you know, I, I think he skews more towards the offensive perspective. Like they're if they're going around Central Indiana, they're going to take a mid three star, a low three star kid who can shoot the hell out of the basketball, who they know is going to be able to good, be an off a really really sound off ball defender, and is just going to play really really freaking hard. And we're going to go mm-hmm. find enough of those guys, and we're going to build enough of a culture that we're going to find one or two guys that are going to come in there. I think Zoe has sort of positioned himself the other way. Like you said, he Matt knows he'll be able to coach up offense, but I but he's got to find the defensive guys to buy in. I think it's kind of the inverse, like you were saying, for Zoe. I can coach mentality. I can find my no assholes who are going to fit. It's just finding, can I find that right kind of balance offensively and then get those one or two guys who can elevate our scheme to that level. And and I think that's, again, it's it's not the quick way of rebuilding, but I, I think to me, when you when you set aside the frustration of what happens in recruiting or some of the inconsistency, you can at least see a plan and a philosophy and an overarching mm-hmm. sort of culture that he wants to create. And if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. it doesn't work, but at least you can see a theory of the case. And, and that's all you really want to see. Yeah. Uh-oh. Lily is looking around. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Get the hell on? off the phone, Dad. Stop talking basketball. <laughs> you got points yeah, to figure out. Like, <laughs> Put me in a new house. Yeah, I think, I think that was uh, Arturo who <laughs> found something outside. Um, well, that is probably our cue to kind of wrap it up. Uh, is there anything else that you guys wanted to, to say before we get out of here? No, no, I'll uh to 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 to, to pimp my work. Uh, let's see. I think I have <laughs> a a Missouri story coming out next Wednesday, so keep an eye for that. Nice. Uh, and you can always follow CJ on Twitter uh, at uh-huh. CJ Moore Hoops. Um, one of my favorite. Uh, like I, I just like when people like add their passion to the end of their their Twitter handle. I, I appreciate that. I did try it for CJ Moore. I asked the guy who had CJ Moore one time if he'd give it to me, and he kind of like laughed at me. So, you know, uh, I think Sam Snelling on Twitter is actually an account that I set up right when Twitter first started, and but I no longer have access to the email that I use, so it's it's lost. It's <laughs> yeah. So I, that's why I'm Sam T Snelling. But yeah, I, I like hoops. I got I got an email. My personal email is that same thing. So nice. Um, yeah, it, it works out. And if you like Tim Duncan, next Friday will be uh, probably the most in-depth, longest story on Tim Duncan's college years you'll ever find. <laughs> I like. I I am legitimately interested to see because yeah, like Tim Duncan is. I've always thought of him as just like a fascinating uh, character. And actually, uh, Wake Forest uh, in what was it? Tim's junior or senior year. Uh, came to Columbia and played at the Hearn Center. That they did. Yeah, somebody talked about that game the other uh, with somebody I just talked to. Um, so yeah, he was freaking good, man. And and as I was re- researching, I saw a random Norm Stewart uh, quote, I think in a, in a Sports Illustrated article about him. Um, so yeah, there you go. But no, <laughs> he, he he was incredible. He's a center, by the way. Um, he's not one of the greatest power forwards ever. He's one of the greatest centers ever, in my opinion. Okay. But uh, no, I, I, I dig some Timmy Duncan, and he's he's going into the Hall of Fame. So I thought, hey, let's go write about his Wake Forest years. Nobody's ever done that. The big fundamental. Yep. It's like the the best damn nickname. Yeah, he was he was he was fun. A little, little more to Tim Duncan than I think people realize too. So. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, like I've I've got all like the 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 Tim Duncan footnotes from my you know my memories because he was he was a little bit older uh, than me, so he was kind of like you know finishing up I think college about the time I was kind of getting uh, started and and all that kind of stuff. But I remember like the whole like was a big time swimmer before he ever picked up a basketball and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and all that all like you know the, the the footnotes of of you know tim duncan's bio because yeah he was just such a fixture uh in in basketball for so many years um yeah. definitely looking Good forward to that college. uh yeah. cj you got anything else you want to plug we'll let you get on with your night here uh no i, th- I, th- I think that's about it I think that's about it. That's Tim. Tim Duncan is uh, dominating my life right now. <laughs> yeah. 
anyway we look forward to it thanks for uh, stopping by it's always good talking to you um and we'll we'll be in touch we'll we'll have you back on maybe after we uh we actually see what this weird new group of players looks like on the court um but until then everybody stay tuned uh podcast next week will be before the box score with with bk and nate um this will be the first podcast that is not produced by Mitchell Hill for the uh, first time in four years. CJ, I didn't know if you know that our podcast producer oh, what the hell, resigned. Uh, and and so uh, Levi Huttmacher is is our, our new guy. And uh, so if it sounds terrible, all complaints go to Levi. Word on the street <laughs> is word on the street is Mitchell thought uh, you got you know you guys were too highfalutin with your Highlanders. And uh, and whatnot, he he just couldn't be around that anymore. Hey, so. and and my wife uh, just bought a a hybrid CRV, so we're like, okay. yeah, fancy, fancy. <laughs> All right, well, th- thanks, dude. Uh, we are out of here, and we will be back in two weeks with more dive cuts. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks, guys.